Thank you, ladies. Great song. Great truth. Appreciate you sharing it. Good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I guess every church has different ways they handle things. For me, Sunday nights are the core of our church. To me as a lay person, the Sunday night service of the church was the most important service we had. I felt like I grew more and learned more on Sunday nights than, than any other time. Um, and I want that time to be like that for us as a, as a church. And I think you feel that way or you wouldn't be here. Adults vote with their feet. And uh, we are on Sunday nights, as probably all of you know, working our way through a series on Bible doctrine. Uh, I want us to understand what we teach here at Bible Baptist Church. I want us to understand why we teach what we teach. Everyone must begin with what the Bible teaches to be sound doctrine. Now, sadly, some people don't even bother to learn what. They have no idea uh, beyond Jesus of Nazareth as a Savior, and He forgives sins, and He's alive again. They have no idea what sound Bible doctrine is. Uh, but thankfully, some people, they do make the effort to learn what the Bible teaches, and then those who are more mature, those who are wiser, they also learn why. Uh, you and I will always be stronger Christians if we understand why we believe what we believe and do what we do. And that's what this series is focused on. The Bible says and predicts that in the last days some would depart from the faith. And then it exhorts those of us in Jude, uh, the only chapter in verse 3, says that we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. The Bible says to give attendance, to pay attention to sound doctrine, to give heed to doctrine. And so what we're doing is we are following that admonition because I want us to understand what we do here at Bible Baptist Church that is biblical, what we do here, that is because historical, biblical Christianity did things a certain way, and what we do, that is just a preference of this assembly. You and I will never be strong in our faith if we do not know the difference in what is biblical and what is a preference. Some people, they think things are just a preference, and it's actually biblical. And then other people... They treat every preference they have like it's a key Bible doctrine, and that's not good either. I want us to be a healthy, biblical congregation. And now, for the last several weeks, we have been talking about the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. This is important because if you're a true child of God, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. Romans chapter 8 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you are saved, if you are genuinely saved, God's Spirit lives permanently in you, and He will live in you until God redeems you from this earth. And last Sunday night, uh, we continued that subject. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our comforter. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our teacher. We talked about how the Holy Spirit helps us pray. We talked about how the Holy Spirit helps us remember the things that Jesus taught after we have hidden them in our heart. And then last week, we began to talk about the Holy Spirit giving at least one spiritual gift to each believer. If you are a believer in Jesus, then you have at least one spiritual gift. Uh, our spiritual adversary is as a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he may devour. And we also learned last week that the Holy Spirit protects us from evil. 
Uh, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. So if you're a Christian tonight, a true Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you, and the evil one cannot have any control in your life unless you open a door to him. The Spirit of God dwells in you, and Satan cannot do anything to you without God's permission. The Spirit lives in you. And so tonight, we continue with this whole idea to try to better understand the Spirit of God and His work in us as Christian people. Uh, if you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, notice that's plural, works. Now he's going to list 17 works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Notice, and such like. And so he lists 17 works of the flesh, and he says, and that ain't even all of them. There's more than that, and such like. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, remember, you enter the kingdom of God by faith in Christ. You get rewarded in the kingdom of God by what you do for Christ after you trust Christ. And if you live a Christian life characterized by these works of the flesh, you'll enter the kingdom of God. But don't think you have some inheritance, some rewards there. By the way, I didn't say that. I'm just reading what it said. Verse 22. But the fruit, notice there's no S there, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, and he's going to list nine things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. In other words, nobody makes a law against loving, having peace, being patient with pain, Nobody makes laws against those. Those nine things are the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, might be seated. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? Uh, here's number one tonight. The Holy Spirit is a source of Christian fruit. Verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance. Now, there's a lot of confusion among Christianity and because of carelessness when it comes to what is the fruit of the Spirit and what is the fullness of the Spirit. Now, some of this confusion is really just semantics and terminology, but at other times, carelessness with these two subjects, these doctrines, have left people with the wrong ideas about these subjects, and it's actually hurt their Christian walk. 
Now, because understanding what is the fruit of the Spirit and what is the fullness of the Spirit is such an important aspect of a Christian life, at least a mature Christian life, uh, God willing, we're going to spend one night on the fruit of the Spirit tonight, and Lord willing, next week we will spend a night on the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, the closer you and I are to biblical terminology and biblical teaching, the stronger we will be when it comes to the work of the Spirit in our life. Notice, as we begin this thought, there is a battle inside every believer. Notice verse 17. It says, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Notice capital S. And the Spirit against the flesh. Did you hear that? There is a desire of your flesh that fights against the desire of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the desires of the Holy Spirit are so strong in our life that he calls it lust. Now, we don't, that's not a word we normally associate with God's work, but understand that every Christian person has desires of the flesh, and every Christian person has desires of the Spirit. And notice, because of this conflict in us, it says these are the contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, there is always going to be a kind of dissatisfaction inside every true Christian. Inside every true Christian, there is flesh, and your flesh has its lusts, it has its desires, it has the things it wants you to do in life, and if you're a true Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and He has strong desires of things He wants from your life. And these things are so contrary that this battle rages inside every true Christian, and so that inside of us, there's always a part that is dissatisfied. Either your flesh is dissatisfied or God's spirit is dissatisfied living in you because they're contrary one to the other. And by the way, just because God doesn't force his will in our lives, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a strong desire of what he wants from our lives. Notice next, then, those who follow the leadership of the Spirit instead of their flesh, they're not under the law. Verse 18 says, for if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we don't have a lot of time for this tonight, but the whole basis of the book of Galatians is these Gentile Christians, believers in the region of Galatia, had been influenced by Jewish believers who went to them and said, listen, you cannot be saved if you don't keep the Jewish law. You cannot stay saved if you don't keep the Jewish law. And Paul comes back and addresses that throughout the book, and this statement is related uh, to that. But hear me when I say this. There are three aspects to the law. There's a moral aspect of the Mosaic law that is based on the character of God. That's found in the Ten Commandments that has never changed. In some form or another, all of those commands are repeated in the New Testament. There's a second part of the Mosaic Law that has to do with government. When God delivered the Jews, the Israelites, from captivity there in slavery in Egypt, they had no nation. And so he was founding a nation. And so he established principles for the government that he wanted that to be found. Now today, you and I don't live under a theocracy like Israel. We live under a democratic republic. And so those things don't uh, apply to us directly either. But we learn things from the principles. The third area of the Jewish law was religion. 
God started not just a country, he started a religion, the religion of Judaism. And so all in the Mosaic Law are instructions for how to offer sacrifices, how to treat new moons every 28 days, how to handle Pentecost and uh, all the holy days that they had and what exactly to do on the Sabbath. Those things were fulfilled in Christ. You and I, as Gentile believers today, we have the liberty to keep those things as a symbol. That's what they did in the book of Acts. Or we have the liberty, which most Gentiles have done historically, which is to have nothing to do with keeping Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles or those sorts of things. If you're led by the Spirit, you have liberty to keep them as symbols or to not keep them at all. But he goes on, and in more relationship to our thought for tonight, there are works, plural, of the flesh. Beginning in verse 19, he's going to list 17 of them. Now, when I got saved 38 years ago, one of the problems I had was my English was substandard. My problem understanding the Bible was was that nobody could write the Bible simple enough for me to understand it. My vocabulary was too small. And what I had to do, and I know some of you might need to do this as well, is I just look them up in a dictionary. And I just got them circled, and I got their definitions in in the margin of of my Bible. But these 17 things, as well as other such-like things, they are ways our flesh manifests itself in our life. Uh, The flesh of the very best Christian will desire strongly at least some of these. Uh, These are not like the spiritual gift where the Spirit of God gives everybody at least one. Uh, Our flesh doesn't desire these to the same degree. All of our flesh desires some of these, but there will be variety among us about which ones of these works of the flesh we're more inclined to rather than others. Some might be more inclined to fornication and lasciviousness. Others might be more inclined to hatred or envy. Some might be more inclined to uh, drunkenness or revelings, which is a wild party. Uh, Others might be more inclined to sedition, which is resisting authority. Some might be more inclined to emulation, which is uh, selfish ambition. Others might be more inclined to heresies, which is false doctrine. Listen, all of our flesh is inclined to some of these, but we are not inclined to all of these in the same manner or to the same degree. In contrast to these works, plural, of the flesh, he is going to give us the key to not yielding to the works of the flesh. Listen, there there is not a Christian here tonight. If you're a true Christian, part of what happened when Christ changed your heart is he gave you a desire for righteousness. That's a part of the change in your heart. Now, Now, I didn't say everybody has that change to the same degree. I didn't say everybody yields to it to the same degree. But when Christ changes a heart, You have a desire to do right as God defines right. The Holy Spirit gives us here in the Scriptures the key to not yielding to these works of the flesh. It's in verse 16. Say, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. By the way, that's a key Bible statement. You want to not yield to the uh, works of the flesh in, in, in your life? You must walk in the Spirit. 
You see, the works of the flesh are produced by yielding to our flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by walking in the Spirit and yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you tonight, if you're here and you're a Christian, are you walking in the Spirit? Say, Brother Wally, I don't even know what that means. Uh, when you walk in the hallway, uh, your walk is controlled by the boundaries in the hallway. When you walk in a room, your steps are controlled by the boundaries in the room. When you walk in the Spirit, the boundaries of your life are controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Uh, let me ask you, is the Holy Spirit, are you walking in the Spirit boundaries when it comes to your entertainment? Are you walking in the Spirit when it comes to what you did Friday night or Saturday night? Are you walking in the Spirit when it comes to how you choose to treat the people around you? Listen, there are boundaries the Holy Spirit has set up. There are ways in every area of our life where He has drawn parentheses where He said, listen, this is how I want you to believe. This is how I want you to walk. This is how I want you to treat other people. This is how I want you to spend your time. There are boundaries He has established. And when you walk in the Spirit, you're walking within boundaries He has established. And that is the key to not producing the works of the flesh in your life. To the degree our heart and mind are controlled by the Holy Spirit, He will produce His fruit in us. The more you and I grow as Christian people, the more evidence of His fruit that will show up in our life. Please do not be surprised if you claim to be Christian and you're a genuine Christian and you yield your life to the to the works of the flesh, you yield to the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit, please don't be surprised when you produce lots of works of the flesh and very few fruit of the Spirit. It all has to do with what we choose. And by the way, if you really want to know what's controlling your life, look at what you choose when you're squeezed. I know it's gross to some people. You've heard me say it a hundred times. When you squeeze a caterpillar, what's on the inside comes out. When you squeeze a Christian, what's on the inside comes out. You, look, one of the best things you and I will ever do as human beings, as Christian people, is honestly face what's inside us. Amen. We will never grow like we should grow if we don't honestly face what's inside us. You want to know whether you are walking in the Spirit? Look what you do when you're squeezed. Does the fruit of the Spirit come out? Or do the works of the flesh come out? I grew up on a farm. Uh, we had apple trees. Uh, I think right now they've got like 1,100 of them. Uh, when you take an apple tree, because it by nature is an apple tree, when you put it in good soil and you give it the right amount of sunlight and you give it the right amount of water, it produces apples because it's an apple tree. Hear me when I say the Holy Spirit will naturally produce what he produces, his fruit, when we put him in an environment that is unhindered. Amen. Let me ask you, what's coming out of your life when you're squeezed? Notice the contrast here to the works of the flesh. There is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, these nine things. Hear me when I say the Holy Spirit that lives in each of us desires to produce all of this fruit in our life. That's why fruit is singular. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce one of these in one believer and another in another. He, he doesn't produce peace in this person and love in this person and long-suffering in this person. It is His fruit. This is these nine things He desires to produce in every Christian. I know you feel like, well, there's no way that I, I can love more. Yeah, you can. You've got to yield to the Spirit. See, Brother Wally, I, there's no way that I can, can be long-suffering. I'm just not wired that way. Uh, this is not a work of your flesh or your personality. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. You and I should have all nine of these things manifesting in our life. Remember last week we talked about uh, the... Uh, gifts of the Spirit and how God gives each Christian their own individual. Remember, there are several gifts. He divideth them severally as He will. Uh, this isn't like that. You and me have the potential to produce all nine of these things if we meet the conditions God established for having them. So what is that? Walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. By the way, have you ever gone through times in your life when there was very little of this fruit being produced? I will guarantee you that was a time in your life when you are not following the leadership of the Spirit, you are not yielded to Him, you're not walking in the Spirit. Yeah. Ever go through times in your life when these things are, seem to be manifesting themselves a lot? Uh, I will guarantee you, you are walking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, and just like a peach tree naturally produces peaches because by nature it is a peach tree, you put it in good soil, you give it enough water, you put it in the sunlight, it produces peaches. You put the Holy Spirit in the right environment in your heart, and He naturally produces all nine of these things. Now in a few weeks, we'll talk about sins against the Spirit. Did you know that there's several specific ones listed? Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about the fullness of the Spirit, which I personally believe to be the highest level of relationship we can have with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but understand, if you and I don't put the Holy Spirit in the right environment, we can hinder the fruit He wants to produce. Now these nine parts, if they're not showing up in your life uh, today, one or two things is true. If they're not showing up in your life at all, number one, maybe you're not really saved. True salvation leaves somebody with a changed heart. Jesus Christ is in your life. You cannot have Christ in your life and not have that affecting you in some way. He is the King of kings. He's God the Son. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Listen, you cannot have Him in your life and have that make no impact. That is an impossibility. So if you don't have any of these in your life, number one, I would check your salvation. Or if these aren't showing up in your life, you need to check your behavior. Because if they're not showing up in your life, for some reason the Holy Spirit is being hindered in your life. Because of whenever the Holy Spirit is in a proper environment, He does what He does. 
He's like an apple tree or a peach tree that you put in good soil with good rain and good sunlight. He just does what he does in the Holy Spirit in us. He desires to produce all nine of these things in your life and mine. And if he is unhindered, he will do that. Now, I want to just take a few brief moments to describe what these things are. uh, Because as we're growing in Christ, these should show up more and more in our life. These are not things that show up because you have some position in the church. These are not things that show up in your life uh, because of the biological family into which God caused you to be born. These don't show up in your life because of your spouse or because of your children. These don't show up in your life because of your natural gifts or because of your spiritual gifts. These show up in your life as a Christian because we walk in the Spirit, because we are yielding to Him. And He, unhindered in our life, just naturally produces all nine of these things. What are they? Notice the first one there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You can keep your hand and go back in your Bible to John 13. John 13. Notice what Jesus said, and we talked about this a week ago on Sunday morning in verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Notice Jesus had this love himself, and he intended for his disciples to manifest it. (laughs) This is the deep abiding love of God. This kind of love has nothing to do with the behavior or the beauty or how much someone else deserves to be loved. That's how God's love is for us. God didn't look down someday and say, wow, there's a group of people deserve to be loved. Uh, God is love. He loved us. See, this love begins toward our family, but it doesn't end there if it is distinctly the love of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he was talking about loving our enemies? He, he said, even the publicans can love them which love them back. Listen, because we are made in the image of a God who is love, every person, whether Christ is in their life or not, can love someone who loves them. But it is distinctly the work of the Spirit of God in our life for you and I to have a deep, abiding, unconditional love for someone who doesn't love us. Listen, all of us need that. By the way, I hope that begins in your own home. Does your family know you love them? Well, the Bible purposely uses the word charity sometimes to translate that same word because love is an action word when it's real. Amen. Do you love those here at Bible Baptist Church? Does your love manifest in action in some way? Amen. Listen, when you love the people here, you don't leave them hanging on your nursery turn. You're never a no-call, no-show in Sunday school or children's church or master club. You don't do that. Amen. Say, why? Because your life isn't all about you. Yeah. You know, if I was deathly ill on Sunday morning, I would do everything to be here because it would just pain me to call Brother Joe or Brother Josh at the last minute and ask him to speak. I would crawl on my hands and knees. Because I love him. 
I, I would do anything to not disappoint my wife. In fact, most things I do at home, I only do not to disappoint her because I hate working around the house. See, the Spirit's fruit begins with love. By the way, we must be walking in the Spirit and yielding to Him, or, and He will produce this kind of love in us. And it shows up in our actions. Uh, the second thing was joy. Turn up a couple of pages uh, to John 15, because it wasn't just love that Jesus manifested. Notice in John 15, 11, He also manifested joy. He says in John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Notice Jesus had joy. By the way, that statement wouldn't mean anything to some people. What would it mean to your spouse or your children to say, hey, my joy I give unto you. Ah, no thanks. You keep it. I don't see any of it. I don't want what you got. Uh, Jesus, when he said, my joy I give unto you, they wanted it. They saw how he was in the difficulties of his life in ministry. They saw how his attitude was, and they said, you know what? If you're going to leave me that, Jesus, I'll take it. And that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, you can have a kind of a happiness that is not linked to what is happening around you. It comes from inside because you're yielded to the Spirit of God. I don't know about you. I like that. I want that. Notice, remember, the third one was peace. Go back just one chapter. Jesus said in John 14, 27, He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice, He talked about His peace. And they were glad to have that too. They, they watched how troubled He was. <laughs> Listen, He was hated by and large. Uh, if Jesus came to America today, most of America would hate the real Jesus. You, you cannot market the message, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Because there are implications of anybody, to anyone who has nothing to do with Jesus. You can't market that message to the masses. And most of the Jews, they rejected him. There was a small segment who believed on him and trusted him with everything. And so when his disciples heard him say, my peace I live unto you, that meant something to him. And you know what? Today, because Jesus is God the Son and the Spirit is God the Spirit and God the Spirit lives in us, Christ in us. Understand, you and I, if we yield to the Spirit and he is unhindered in our life, that peace is produced in us. Are you yielded to him? The fourth thing, if you remember, is long-suffering. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. There's a reason that all nine of these things are things that Jesus manifested or manifested by our Creator. By the way, long-suffering is a special kind of patience. Long-suffering is when you're patient and it pains you to be patient. In fact, you can find, if you study the subject, you'll find individual verses that have both long-suffering and patience in the same verse. They're different but similar. Uh, 
most of us want more patience. Uh, all of us need more patience, and you know what? This is a higher level of patience. This is patience when it pains you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. That's His promise to return. It says, But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice the Lord is long-suffering. You know why Jesus didn't come back five years ago? God's long-suffering. Now, there's a day when the line is drawn in the sand, and, you know, like the lady sung about today, you, you know, and the judgment of God is going to fall. And for anybody here who thinks you want that, you really don't understand how bad it is when God's judgment falls. I mean, today, by the grace of God, we live in a day of grace, and God is long-suffering to us. And the good thing of it is, is that God the Spirit lives in us, and if you and I are yielded to the Spirit, if we are leaving Him unhindered in our life, then He produces long-suffering in us. Say, so Brother Wally, I'm not long-suffering at all. There's a problem with your yieldedness. There's a problem with your walk. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we could spend weeks on each of these nine qualities more carefully defining them, but that's not really the purpose of, of doing this. This is just a basic key doctrinal series. Uh, I think in 2008, I spent uh, several weeks doing that. Uh, maybe we'll revisit again sometime. Who knows? Uh, but notice the next thing is gentleness. Now, for most men... Uh, this is not a very appealing quality because we don't understand it. Um, people that don't understand gentleness, they equate weakness with gentleness. Hear me when I say weakness means you have the inability to act. You are unable to respond. Gentleness is you're strong enough to respond, but you choose not to for a greater reason. Gentleness is the action that results from the attitude of meekness. And by the way, meekness was the eighth part of that fruit. It's an attitude. It's when you're strong, but you, for a greater reason, don't express it. Me meekness is when the two-year-old comes up and kicks you in the shin and says, come on, buster, let's fight, and you don't bust their chops. If you're weak, then you, you, you couldn't do anything. God doesn't want us weak. He wants us meek Amen. and gentle. Notice these are qualities of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Paul here says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold. Notice Jesus had the attitude of meekness. He had the character quality. His behavior was gentle. I mean, have you ever really thought about this? He was so strong, he could stand in the back of a boat in the middle of a storm so bad that it scared seasoned fishermen. He could stand in the back of the boat and just say, peace be still, and everything go calm. He was that powerful. Amen. He could, by the word of his mouth, say, Lazarus, come forth and call a man out of the grave who'd been dead four days. 
He was that powerful. He was so powerful. He could, by virtue of the fact that He made the laws of nature, He could defy them and ascend into heaven as His disciples watched Him go back up to the right hand of His Father. He was that powerful. But yet at times we find Him holding infants in His arms. (laughs) We see His sympathy for a woman who had her brother die. We see him on his very last night when Peter, in aggression, is not being meek. He cuts off the ear of Malchus, a servant of the high priest. And what does Jesus do to the ear of the guy who came to arrest him and mistreat him? He picks the bloody ear up off the ground, puts it back on his head. That's gentleness and meekness. Can you imagine? I mean, that guy goes home, uh, gets home. Uh, why, hey, how'd work go tonight? He got blood running down the side of his face. Well, uh, one of those uh, nasty disciples of Jesus cut my ear off, but Jesus put it back on. Can you imagine that? But Jesus was meek and gentle, and that is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, if you have no meekness in your attitude, if you have no gentleness in your behavior as a result of this meek attitude, there's something wrong with the way you're walking in the Spirit. Because He wants to produce meekness and gentleness in every one of His children. The sixth thing was goodness. The desire to act and be what God calls good. Listen, our world does not get to define what God defines as good. Uh, Anybody beside me just sick of lesbian kisses on children's cartoons? And on and on it goes. Listen, our world does not get to define what is good. But, but if you are a child of God and the Spirit of God lives in you, there is a part of you that wants goodness, good people, good things, good behavior, good conversation, things God defines as good. And if you don't have goodness in your heart, if goodness is not being produced in some way, there's not some desire for goodness, in some way you're grieving the Spirit of God. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not following His leadership because He wants to produce that in you. The next thing is faith. Trusting God. Trusting what He says even though you can't see how it's going to turn out. See, now we're most familiar with faith when it comes to faith to be saved. By the way, for by grace He is saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Listen, any man should boast. The only way anybody that's ever saved gets saved is faith. Amen. Faith is specifically in Jesus Christ. But understand, that is the beginning of our relationship with God. And faith becomes a part of our everyday life after that. Have you ever really thought about how many things of life are actually an expression of our faith or lack of faith? By the way, what you choose to do on the Lord's day is either an expression of your faith that God says, hey, that day is important, set it apart to me. I don't want you to forsake assembling together. Or no faith. Yeah, I don't care if I go. By the way, how you handle your money. It's an issue of faith. Does the first tenth belong to God or not? It's an issue of faith. 
almost everything is an issue of faith. What you decide is, what are going to be your moral boundaries? That's an issue of faith. You're going to believe what our culture says, you're going to believe what God says. Almost everything is an issue of faith. How are you going to treat the people who mistreat you? What kind of priorities are you going to raise your children with? Are you going to use discipline or no discipline? Those are all issues of faith. And understand, among several ways that God gives us to have more faith beyond putting our measure of faith in Jesus as Savior, one of those ways is yielding to His Spirit because part of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. The eighth thing was meekness and the last one. You can go back to Galatians chapter 5 because it's a word that probably maybe only half of the people in here could define. And yet it's one of the nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. I, I would probably describe it as the most forgotten aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, for anybody who knows much about the Bible, if you, somebody asks you uh, about the fruit of the Spirit, you, you might just even guess, you know, things like love, joy, peace. But this ninth part, you probably wouldn't guess. But yet it is a part of the Spirit's fruit that He wants to produce in every believer. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What is temperance? Self-control. By the way, in my Bible, I've got the word temperance circled. I've got a little line that goes down to the margin. And I've got self-control in the margin of my Bible. Now, there is a kind of temperance that is a part of our character. It has nothing to do with our faith in Christ. Listen, athletes have it. People who are very successful in business have it. They have this self-control and self-discipline with their time. They have this self-control and self-discipline in the case of elite athletes with their diet. They have self-discipline and temperance when it, when it comes to their sleep. There's a kind of temperance that is our character, and we ought to build that uh, in our life as Christian people. It's a part of Christian character. Uh, but there's also a spiritual kind of temperance, which is our self-control in spiritual things, has nothing to do with our character per se. This has nothing to do with something someone who's lost can have, and it's discipline in spiritual things. Did you know the Spirit of God wants you and I to be self-disciplined enough to set aside a time every day to pray? Amen. Did you know the Spirit of God, one of His lusts, is that you and I set aside a time each day to get in our Bible? Amen. Did you know the Spirit of God desires and works in the heart of every believer this temperance, this self-control to be committed to one of His churches, one of the assemblies of believers, one of the bodies of Christ? This is spiritual self-discipline. And the Holy Spirit works in every child of God to produce this temperance, this self-control, this self-discipline in every true child of God. And if that's not in your life, there's some way you're hindering the Spirit of God in your life. It's not like, well, he's a preacher. God wants him to have temperance. I I'm not a preacher. God just wants me to be long-suffering. No. Every true child of God has the capacity, because the Spirit of God lives in him, to manifest all nine parts of this fruit. Are you? 
walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are you manifesting more of his fruit than you were a year ago? By the way, I hope the answer to that question is encouraging to you. Because it means you're growing and God's working in your life. Uh, our, is the circle of people who see this fruit in your life bigger than it was a year ago? In other words, is this fruit manifested to a bigger circle of human beings? I hope the answer encourages you. Amen. Because what it means is that you're growing in your faith and God's working in your life. Listen, none of us grow as quick, quickly as we wish we would. Whether we like it or not, all spiritual growth is like it says in the Old Testament, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That, that's the way true growth is. All of us wish it were fast, but it isn't so. Amen. And so I ask you, are you gradually producing more of this fruit than you were a year ago. I hope that answer encourages you. You, you know, sometimes uh, we don't give ourselves a break. And we, we fail to see, because Christian growth is, is here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. We don't give ourselves a, growth be, uh, a break because, well, I don't see as much as I would like. Who does? Nobody. But you know what? If you see more of this fruit in your life than you did a year ago, you really tonight, you ought to just sit back a little bit and say, you know, God's working in my life. I'm growing. Amen? Amen. Because if you're going in the right direction, you're going to end up in the right place. Amen. But maybe tonight, sadly, the answer is not there's more of this fruit in your life. And so one of two things is true. Either the Lord is not really in your life because the Spirit of God, when He's unhindered, produces all nine of these things, or you are in some way, you're hindering Him. Can I encourage you tonight? Repent. Change directions. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't want to bring more of these nine things into every area of your life? And God wants to help you have them. Amen? If you'd quietly stand.